Well, if I gave you all a sheet of paper this morning and I asked you to list all the ways that God has provided for you just over the last week, I think all of us would agree that would be a lengthy list. Amen? Some of you, just like a few of you in the room, maybe if, if you were doing that list, you would have some massive answers to prayer of how God provided related to vehicles or a miraculous way in which something was fixed or, 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 or a, a, a long answer to prayer for housing that has finally been answered. And, 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 and you would probably write that at the top of the list of God's provision over your week. But I, but I also want all of us in here to understand the miracle of God's provision of just when we scan a loaf of bread at the grocery store checkout. The blessing of God's provision as we pull chairs up to dining room tables day after day after day after day. Our God is good to provide for us. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the end of Exodus chapter 15. And over the course of the last two weeks, we, uh, we have specifically been looking at how God is leading his people out of Egyptian bondage and toward, not yet to, but toward the promised land. And, and we've seen God's uh, miraculous nearness and his mighty power and how he's leading his people out. But, but today I want us, as we continue in this story of God's deliverance, I want us to see that, yes, God is a God who leads us. But as he leads us, he is also a God who provides and who protects now, uh, I want to remind you why specifically we are studying the book of Exodus right now in the life of our church. If you rewound all the way back to the last Sunday of July when we began this series, one of the things that I said on that Sunday is uh, we're studying the book of Exodus so that we can know God in a deeper way. Not just know more facts about God, but truly know who He is, the character and the nature of the God that we worship. Because around here, we say worship is this. It's a, it's a response of praise and adoration to God because of who God is. You cannot worship that which you do not know. You cannot worship God accordingly or fittingly if you do not know who he is. And so as we see a great and mighty God lead his people out of Egyptian bondage, there are so many things that we find to know of who he is. And today I want us to know this, that God is our provider and protector. Now I said it last week, I want to say it again this week. There's probably not much that's profound to you in that statement. But what we need to do today is dive deeply into the reality of how God is our provider, how God is our protector in such a way that our trust is rooted in a deep foundation of bedrock that leads us here worshiping him in a deeper way. And so I want to uh, attack this today over an extended portion of the scriptures, and I want to break it just into these two parts. I want us to look at God as the uh, provider to his people, as his people are now on the other side of the Red Sea. How do we see God provide? And then I want to, in a, in a brief point at the end, show us how God is also the protector of his people and the protector of us sitting here. And so if you would, pray with me, and let's get into it. Father, uh, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so, Lord, um, 
What we need right now is to hear from your word. Uh, Lord, we know that your word has your authority. And so God, speak to us through it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing, first point, God is our gracious provider. Now, uh, I'm picking it up here, Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. The people have crossed the Red Sea. They have just worshipped with this song of Moses, as our Bible titles it. Now, uh, uh, verse 22 of chapter 15. It says, Then Moses made uh, Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went how many days? They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people, what did the people do? And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule and there he tested them saying if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord your what I'm the Lord your healer Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they encamped there by the water. And so uh, we're on the other side of the Red Sea now. It says they've journeyed three days into the wilderness. They've They've found no water. Then they found water, but it's bitter water. It's undrinkable water. And the Lord, Moses cries to the Lord, and the Lord shows Moses a log, and he throws the log in, and this bitter water is made sweet. It's made drinkable. And then God encamps them by an oasis, and God, out of no water, has provided water, very tangible provision to his people to drink. But that, that's not God's only provision here. Not just water, but now keep going into Exodus 16. Something, if you're familiar with the Bible, you've heard much about in this this idea, this form of manna. Look at what it says in chapter 16. It says, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt... And the whole congregation of the people of Israel, what'd they do? They grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, look at what they say here. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And so... They journey away from the Red Sea into the wilderness. When they could not find drinkable water, what did the people do? They journey on another time frame. When the people have found themselves unable to find bread to eat, what do they do? I want to bring out a couple sub points under this, this first main point today that God is our gracious provider. And the first one I want us to see is this. God graciously provides to grumblers. That's good news for the person next to you, right? (laughs) 
We see this in all three scenes of God's provision today. In the bitter water made sweet and his provision of manna, and then there's going to be another provision of water that follows the provision of manna. In all three scenes, we see God's people grumbling. I want us to note something. The people were three days removed from watching a mighty God part a sea before they started complaining to him. And I'll tell you what, I can read the Bible, I can pull it out in the morning in my devotional time, and I can read that, and I I can think, what a bunch of ungrateful fools. But then I'm reminded, all I need to do to get a close glimpse of an ungrateful heart is look in the mirror. How quickly I forget all the ways God has provided, and how quickly when life gets hard, I am to grumble and complain against him. Anyone with me? And you see the people grumbling again and again. It's easy to forget how the Lord has provided for us in the past and how he too will provide for us in the future. Let me say this. When we perceive a lack, when we perceive a lack in our life, we have an opportunity to either test the Lord with grumbling or to either trust the Lord in faith. But what's amazing to me is that three days in, the people grumble. A short amount of time later, the people grumble. Again, the people are grumbling. And do you know what God does in the midst of their grumbling? He provides for a bunch of grumblers. Look at what he does here, verse 4, chapter 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about, I love this line. Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven. For you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Note that. They gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. The Lord hears the grumbling of his people and he doesn't say, oh, forget them. I'm done with them. I just parted a sea for literal heaven's sake. And here they are grumbling and complaining. No, the Lord hears their grumbling and the Lord brings a provision, meat by the evening, bread by the morning. And how much are they to collect each morning? What did it say? Collect how much? A daily portion. Second sub point I want you to get under this main point of God as our gracious provider is this. God graciously provides our daily bread. Do you agree with that? God loves to provide daily bread for his people. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
Has he been good to give that to you? Has he been good in seasons of plenty to give that to you? Yes or no? Has he been good in seasons of want to give that to you? Yes or no? I'm off the cuff now, and I hope that's okay. Um, last night, I, my, I was sitting in our living room with my parents, and they had gone up to a place that they had gone on their honeymoon. And sorry, Mom and Dad, I didn't ask your permission to share this, but that's what happens when you have a son who preaches. And they were talking about being back at this restaurant. They ate it on their honeymoon. They, they, didn't, they walked, walked in on their honeymoon. They didn't even have enough money to buy a, a, a burger. Literally, they didn't have enough money to buy a burger. They, so they, they like split a pop and paid for that and left. And to, to, for them to then be back all these years later and to be able to sit down and actually enjoy a burger at that restaurant. But, but, the, but the illustration of the, the, the disparity between seasons and life in which God in seasons of want is faithful for daily bread and God in seasons of plenty is faithful for daily bread. We have a God who loves to graciously provide our daily bread. Um, if I can, and I want to be careful with this because I do know what God has called me to and I do know what God hasn't called me to. What God has called me to is to stand before you weekly and to herald the word of God. What God has not called me to is to be an economist. That was somewhat funny, but <laughs> you missed it. But I am able to keep track of the news enough to know there's swirlings around what is ahead potentially in 2023. Can I remind us today, we don't know what 2023 brings. We don't know what the next 23 minutes bring. But we do know that we have a God who loves to provide daily bread. So whether season of plenty ahead, daily bread. Whether seasons of want ahead, daily bread. And we will get on our knees and say, thank you, Lord. And so the Lord hears their grumbling. He provides for them meat by evening, bread by morning. They're to gather it. They're to, they're, to, um, they're to gather a daily portion. There's this aspect where on the sixth day there's going to be a double portion because they're going to rest on the seventh day. And I'll get into Sabbath rest in the weeks to come, but not today. But then look at, look at what God says next about what this provision is to teach. The provision of God is to teach us something. It's to remind us of something. Look at verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. I still think that'd be awesome. The glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud, and the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them, at twilight you shall eat me, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And here's the lesson. It's not, it's not only about the provision of, of meat and bread. It's not only about that. He says this, and this is a repetitive line throughout the book of Exodus. He says, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Third sub point of this main point of God is our gracious provider. God graciously provides revealing he is God. 
This phrase, as I've already noted, we have seen again and again and again. If you remember, this phrase came with intensity and when God was bringing the plagues on the people of Egypt. He says, I'm going to bring this plague, and as this plague comes, I'm going to show my glory over Pharaoh, and all of Egypt will know that I am the Lord. And so uh, it, it, is through, it was through his acts of judgment on Egypt that God was showing that he is the Lord and he is alone. Now it's through his gracious and merciful provision for his people that he is declaring the same thing, that you would know that I'm the Lord. I hear you. I know you need bread, and I'm going to rain it down from heaven that you would know that I'm the Lord. God's provision in our lives as his people is to lead us to declare that he is God and he alone. Does daily provision turn your eyes vertical to the Lord or not? Let me ask that again. Does daily provision turn your eyes vertical to the Lord as your God? When you sit down for a prayer before meal, has that merely become a formality and function that almost is offered up with no heart felt in it? Or what would it look like this week? What would it look like today to go home, to pull a table up to a dining room table, to stare at a hot plate of food and say, really, from the bottom of my heart, Lord, thank you. This roast on my plate before me today reminds my heart that there is a God providing for us. Thank you, Lord. When we crawl into bed at night, pull covers over us and lay our head on a pillow again, is there something about that? And I'm, I get it. I'm not saying every night this is going to happen, but is, is there a rhythm of regularity where when our head lays on a pillow in a warm bed again, where we just stop and go, thank you, Lord, for a bed There's something in that that points my heart to say that you are the Lord, my God. And I'll ask this related to this. Where, where do you ultimately believe your provision is coming from? Where do you ultimately believe? Do you ultimately believe your provision is coming from your job? Do you ultimately believe that your provision is coming through you? Praise the Lord for God providing means of jobs. Amen. Praise the Lord for God providing means of, a, a, of an ability to work so that we can help provide as an instrument through him. But our ultimate provision is not found in the place where we get our paychecks. And our ultimate provision is not found in our own ability, but our ultimate provision is found in the God who provides all those things for us. And there's something in that that is to orient our heart vertically Say again, you are Lord, you are God. And so the Lord 
hears the cries of grumblers, and the Lord provides them daily bread, and the Lord in doing this is saying that he is God. But now, if you'll allow me, I want to read an extended portion of God's provision of manna and his provision of water, and then I want to tie this into a bigger New Testament picture. So, so look, at what is, look at what happens here in, in Exodus 16, verse 13. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. That would be an interesting sight, right? Just a wave, of, just a cloud of quail coming in and just... In the, mor- in, the, in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And now look how this dew is described. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to, another, they said to one another, what they say? What is it? For they did not know what it was. I love that line. They asked, what is it? Because they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Verse 16, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall teach, uh, you shall uh, each take an omer. An omer, you know, your Bible will tell you is about two quarts. According to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted, daily bread. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow's a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning." So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, and there there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Stop right there. You have this scene of the dew coming down, of it turning to these flakes, this, this bread, this provision by God. And then God provides for a day of rest. And as I said before, I'm going to get into that as we keep going in the book of Exodus. But, but on the sixth day, there's this double portion and the Lord preserves it for another day so that the people do not have to get up and gather. Our, good, our God is good to provide for us. And our God is good to provide for us in a way that he even grants us rest in his provision. Verse 31, now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. I'd love to try manna in heaven. 
Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna. Come on. 40 years. Mom, what's for breakfast tomorrow? Manna. Hey, listen, sometimes, sometimes you hear people, you know, get to this part and they're like, can you imagine eating the same thing for 40 years? Can we flip that? How good is our God to miraculous provi- miraculously provide every morning for 40 years? They ate it for 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And then a note on the measurement, and Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. So, where's the water? Oh, we finally found bitter water. Moses, throw a log in it. The water becomes sweet. And oh, by the way, after I provide the sweet water, I'll allow you to encamp next to a beautiful oasis full of springs. Food, where's the food? Grumble about food. The Lord rains bread from heaven. The Lord rains quail from heaven and provides for these people. Now we're back to the water problem, Exodus 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why, guys, haven't we learned this lesson yet? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock. And what's going to come out of the rock? Water. And water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Water, bread, water. But let me tie this to something bigger that I think all of this is pointing to in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so this fourth subpoint under this big idea that God is our gracious provider is this. God graciously provides his son as ultimate bread and water. Now, let me show you from the Gospel of John why I believe that is not an over, overly allegorical application of the provision of manna and the provision of water. Look at what we read in John's Gospels. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. 
He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall, not, shall never thirst. The manna of Exodus is pointing to the greater manna of Jesus Christ. The bread of life in whom we come to, to never spiritually hunger again. What about water? John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to a woman at the well. And he says to her, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, this water in the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Amen? And so my, 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 my pointed statement for anyone who's walked in here spiritually hungry or spiritually thirsting because you have yet to eat of the bread of life or drink from the well that is Christ, that today you would believe in Jesus as your Savior and let the bread of life and this eternal water satisfy the thirst of your soul. And the Bible calls you to that by faith. God holds a gracious invitation out to you to turn from your sin and to believe in Jesus as the bread of life and as the eternal spring of your soul. And we're told that if we call on the name of Jesus, we will be saved. Call on that name today by the power of the Spirit who draws you. And so God has provided. But God is not only provider, God is also our strong protector Look at God's protection here as chapter 17 ends. Very quickly. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Now, we need to understand who's Amalek. Amalek was a grandson of Esau. So if you remember, Jacob and Esau are brothers. We have, the Bible has followed the line of Jacob and Joseph has gone down to Egypt and then Joseph leads uh, uh, Jacob's family down to Egypt and now you have this family of the line of Jacob leaving Egypt. Well, they meet another of their descendants from the line of Esau and there's going to be a war over this. Then Amalek or the Amalekites came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. With, with Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And when he ever lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary so they took a stone. Picture this now. They took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it while Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and he called the name of it, the Lord is my what? Is my banner. Saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. God is our strong provider. Now, I want us to understand something about this, this story and some of the peculiar, I can't say that word, some of the odd things about the story. Sometimes you hear this story and it can be like, maybe, maybe a bit, in my opinion, watered down and moralized a bit, like have good people around you to hold up your hands. And there's something to that there. But this is more than that. And why it's more than that is because of what we're told, that an altar is built and the altar is given a name, the Lord is my, the Lord is my banner. What we have to understand that the power for the victory for the Israelites was not ultimately in Joshua's warring ability. And the power for the victory of the Israelites wasn't just in some kind of obscure Moses, you know, keeping his hands up or down. The power for Israelites' victory is found in what was in Moses' hand that was rising and falling. What was in his hand? The, the staff of God. It was as the staff of God was raised that there was, this, there was this sense that the presence of God was fighting on their behalf. As the staff of God was lowered, Amalek would prevail. God was, God was seeing sure that Israel knew their victory and their protection was ultimately rooted in the presence of God with them. This is why they build an altar and this is why they call it the Lord is my banner. Now, when we think of banner, we often think of, you know, probably like a war flag. We think of fabric on top of a pole. But we need to understand for them, a, a banner was, was, was a pole in a sense. Douglas Stewart, he's a scholar way smarter than I, who's done work on Exodus. He says, most often this banner, it's used in military contexts where the banner is a signal pole around which an army or army unit can rally, regroup, or return for instructions. And so the army would look for, look for the banner, and they'd rally around the banner. And it says the banner went up that the Israelites were rallying around the presence of God who fights on their behalf. Their protection and their victory rested entirely in the presence of God raised up among them. And if I can remind us here today, your protection, and I spoke to this last week, your protection ultimately rests with the presence of God battling on your behalf. Protection from things that this temporal world might bring our way but ultimate protection of our souls that rests with the reality that we have rallied around a banner of Christ, the one raised up for us, who though should life bring anything dangerous, harmful, or even to the point of death, our soul rests protected and perfectly in the presence of our Savior. Amen. God is our provider.
and God is our protector. So church, if you would, let's stand together and let's worship him over those truths of who he is.